You're listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. Bridges Nashville is a church plant in the heart of Music City, meeting at the Listening Room Cafe in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Here's this week's message. All righty, how's everybody doing? All righty. Looking good out there. Thank you guys for, I love the meet and greet time. And so, but, um, so, you know, we, we decided to do this series. I believe God instructed us to do it. And it, it really comes from Revelation 12, 11, when it says, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. There's something powerful with that testimony. When you begin to share of God's goodness, God's mercy, and God's grace, and it really enhances the lives of other people because you're just really sharing about the goodness of what God has done in your life. And so we've got with us our good friend, Richard Barger. We call him Rick. So we call him, God, give him a hand clap for even being up here. Good morning. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Rick, you know, he's uh, he started uh, coming to the church about, was about a year ago, year, maybe somewhere off in there. Yeah, something like and, that. Uh, yeah. But his testimony is so powerful. So we're just going to jump right into this. Is that okay with y'all? Because I want to I give us the time so you can really hear uh, what he has to say. So, Rick, I just want you to, uh, to take us back to when you, uh, because I think a lot of times people have to hit a place where they realize they have an addiction. And so take us back to some of that pre-moment before you realize you had an addiction and how was your life back then? Well, that goes way back. Um, without telling you how old I am, it goes way back. Uh, I never really drank socially. Uh, the first time I ever took a drink, um, I was passed out within 20 minutes. And this was a social event for a friend of mine who was going away to the Navy. And I didn't even get to enjoy the party. Matter of fact, I probably ruined it, you know, but I passed out. And because um, you don't remember, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember any of it. So I, you know, and, and I didn't really think anything was wrong at that point. I just thought maybe I need to learn how to drink better, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was my and I didn't drink for for quite a while after that. I, like I said, I was a young man, probably 15, 16 years old. And, um, you know, I, been, I was exposed to it all my life so that when I did finally start um, in high school partying and, and finding friends to hang out with that, that drank like I did, um, it pretty much took off. And that's just the way I lived. Um, I thought that was, that was the hand I was dealt. And that's just the way it was going to be. You know, um, I didn't think there was anything wrong at first, you know. But, I mean, and then, and then the law came along and started getting in trouble with the law. And having to hire lawyers and go to court. And it's funny because the first lawyer that I hired as a juvenile, uh, I had a drinking offense. And then we hired him again for another offense that had to do with drinking. And finally, he's, we were sitting in his office, and I'll never forget this. Um, he says, Richard, do you think there may be a problem with alcohol in your life? Do you think you may need to you know, take a look at that? And I'm like, nah, man, I got it under control. I'm good. You know, and but that was just the beginning as a juvenile, you know, um, not even old enough to drink yet. And I went on and on like this for years and years and years. I mean, I could probably write a book about all the things that happened in my life. Just um, and it wasn't all bad at first. It, it really wasn't. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I lived a lot of life um, before I finally got sober for the first time in 1991 um, up in Fairfax, Virginia. And, you know. I mean, there were bad times. There was fights. I got fought all the time and, and you know, the hangovers and, and just that lifestyle 
is is exactly what the devil wants. I mean, that was his. That's that was living in his realm at that point. And um, I can remember going through treatment um, at 25 years old, and and I think I, my family had told me at that point that they they were taking a poll or they they were making bets that the way I was living, I wouldn't live to see. 25 years old, and I and I turned 25 in treatment, and of course, you know, the treatment center wasn't a faith-based program; it was more of an educational thing. But the um, the 12-step programs that they showed us um, had to do with higher powers and gods and stuff. And and I look back now, and I can honestly say that I never really surrendered completely to God's will. Um, I was, I always wanted to be in control. I always wanted to do it my way. And, um, but I managed to stay sober for seven years and it was a good sober life. I mean, I was really involved. Um, we played sober softball. We went to sober dances, you know, the little network of people that I went through treatment with. Um, we, we stayed together as a group. And of course, everybody else started getting married having kids and stuff like this. And um, I was headed there too. I mean, I met a, I met a lady and, and we were talking about marriage and kids. And I guess because I didn't surrender all, I ended up that intimacy and that closeness that I had never lived in a healthy relationship before in my life. Um, I didn't know how to handle it. Um, I wasn't prepared for that. So I had relapsed after seven years. And um, So was that just the, the pressure you kind of felt like I don't, because you were sober. And then was it like a, a moment of panic or a moment of, I just, like, like what do you feel like sabotaged that? Oh, I did. Okay. I sabotaged it um, just because it was unfamiliar territory. All my relationships before that, even with family and friends, were all unhealthy. Um, it was a, I was in a state of using people for what I needed to get my addiction and to keep my addiction going. Um, you know, and even drugs were even involved, even though I'm primarily um, an alcohol user. Um, there was cocaine in the early 80s, you know, or and, and or late 80s and stuff like that that I got involved in, and and but there were always unhealthy relationships, even with my my family and stuff like that. I wasn't a very good brother. I wasn't a very good son. Um, I was out doing my own thing, and I did what I wanted to do, at the cost of everybody else in my life. And um, and to that that beautiful young lady, it, it you know, I took it out on her. And she was just like, what happened? You know, and, and I, it, it took some 2020 hindsight to realize that I lacked in these areas. You know, I mean, so many social skills just weren't there because I used alcohol as my social friend, as my, my crutch um, to move along in life. And, you know, it went with the same thing with jobs, jobs after jobs after jobs. I mean, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, and then when I ended up relapsing, it didn't take long. I was right back into the same boat again, you know. And, and um, what also happened in that period when I was sober was a, a sponsor. I had finally made a friend, a true friend, um, who was my sponsor, but he was a friend. And he had lived the dream, um, built a house, got married. His wife, they, him and his wife had a kid. And um, he just finally, I was actually down where he moved to. Um, in a southern part of Virginia, looking at houses so I could be closer with him, you know, me and, and my fiance at the time. And um, when he passed away, there went all those abandonment issues again. And um, they, all the feelings came back. And I just, you know, I cursed God 
And I said, man, you took my, my best friend here. I will never trust anybody again, including you. You know, See, that's real talk. How many of you guys have ever been in a situation where you got mad at God? Like, God, what, how dare you? How dare you? You know, it's like it's like being on, on the cusp of the breakthrough. And, and like I said, you've got your, your, your fiance and you're, you're, you're thinking about getting married. And then the person that was a rock for you gone. is gone. And it's like those are those are real life things that we go through that people go through. It's like God, you took my my mom away, my dad away. You took my friend away. And, and in those moments, it's you know, you kind of find yourself like Job. Just, I would just curse God and die. It's like that's when you reach a a moment where you feel like all hope is gone. Anybody ever been there? Like all hope is gone, and it's like wow. And so in that uh, the relapse and. How how far down did you go, Rick, and, until you realized, man, I, I got to do something. This this is a problem. Um, I drank pretty heavy um, for another 12 years. Um, I managed to quit drinking again um, because I just knew there was something wrong in my life. I just knew that there was something more. There had to be. Yeah. Why, you know, I started feeling like, you know, I was put here for a reason. Um, I'd done a little bit of jail time. Um, always involved with the police and the courts, fighting, fighting, fighting. Um, and it was because I was mad. I was angry. Um, and I, like I said, I left God behind. I was like, see you later, man. I'm not going to deal with you anymore. And um, that's the way I lived. You know, the devil took over and I and, and ran the show. And I was a willing participant. Um, but at the end of that 12 years drinking, I knew something, something had to change. And I stopped again. Um, but I didn't. No 12-step stuff. Um, didn't really use God much. Um, I used the marijuana treatment um, to not drink, uh, and it helped. Um, but there were also some mental health issues there, too, which I found out later that um, anxiety and stuff was a lot of the reason why I lived the way I did, to keep, that, to keep those feelings out. I didn't want to feel anything um, except the good buzz, you know? So... Um, Skipping ahead, I just drank off and on for years. I never really could get a good hold, a grip on um, just living life in a healthy way, a Christian way, um, a good way. Now, now when that's, you say you were off and on for 12 years. So was that in your strength, do you feel like? Or did you, in that time period, was, did you ever kind of reach out to God to help you with that? Or was that you stopping and starting again on your own strength? Mostly on my own. I mean, you know, we have those trench prayers where we're driving down the road and the white lines in front of us are crossing and, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're 50 miles from home and it's late at night and you're just like, oh, God, please get me home and I'll never do this again, you know. Or you wake up in the morning sick and puking and it's like, okay, God, you know, uh, get me to work and I'll never do this again. But there was no sincerity. I had no relationship with God. Um, I really had no relationship with anybody except alcohol and drugs. And, um, and it took me down. It took me down. And I can't remember. Um, the, I, I ended up not, I ended up with a DUI and I ended up not driving for quite a while. And that was perfectly fine with me because what I did a lot of times was pack the cooler and go and drink and drive. Drinking and driving was my MO after I quit bar drinking um, at a, as a young man. And I would go visit people, you know, and I'd show up at their house at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning drunk while they're having breakfast, 
you know, and they're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, can you come back later? But I mean, and that was my MO. So when I got my license back and got my car, that's when it really took off again. And I'm going to jump forward a little bit. Um, in that time frame, I had not been speaking with my father. Um, there was a couple periods of time where I didn't speak with, with most of my family. Um, but my father was really the, the main one. And um, I found out he had gotten sick. Um, so I went ahead and swallowed my, my ego or whatever you want to call it. And I reached out to him and this was a, this was a major turning point in my life. Um, when he answered the phone and I spoke with him, I did not recognize the man on the other side. And, um, he talked about God and he talked about being saved and he talked about being an upstanding member in his church and, you know, there was one point where I called him when I was drunk and, you know, I needed a father to talk to. And I told him, if you mention God one more time, I'm hanging up this phone and I'll, I'll never talk to you again. But he always prayed with me. He was one of the few people that when I got on my binges, they would answer the phone and he would pray with me. Well, this particular incident where I called him and hadn't talked to him for quite a while, he, um, he spoke of God and he spoke of hope. And he prayed with me, and I said, I've got to go see this guy. I've got to reconnect and see this guy because I don't know this man. This is not, my father too was an alcoholic. And um, that finally ended up is what took him. He died of cirrhosis of the liver. But before that, I got to spend some time with him um, being single. And, and uh, at that time, I was driving for Uber. So I was mobile. I could, I could go and... Um, he couldn't drive. His wife didn't drive. So I decided to move to Charlottesville, Virginia, where he lived. And so I could take him to his appointments um, at the VA hospital and be there for him, you know, get groceries and stuff. And before I moved there, I would go there to visit and I'd stay all day. Didn't want to leave because the power of God was there. You could feel it. The Holy Spirit, he talked and lived. No cussing. I mean, the ultimate um, example of a Christian man. And I was like, wow, it was almost like another drug. You know, when I left there, I was floating six feet off the ground and the whole ride home. I was, I turn on my, you know, he gave me a couple CDs of the old gospel music and I put that in and I'd ride home and I'm like, well, and I didn't drink, you know, because that was usually my MO. It's a two hour drive. That's plenty of time to drink a 12 pack, you know, and, you know, and barely yeah, make it home. It, out, right. it was yeah, great. Yeah. And so I said, you know what? Uh, the opportunity came where I volunteered to say, hey, look, you've got a guest room. Why don't I come here? And I did. And uh, I think I lived there for about a month. And he finally passed. But he put back in me the spirit. I shouldn't say put back because I never felt that kind of spirit before in my life. Now, off and on, I did continue to drink. Um, but I knew at that point that there was a connection. And every time I drank or drugged, I knew that I was I was going against God's will. I just I just think that's awesome. Just you know, it's almost like skipping ahead to Father's Day, when when the father speaks something to you, and it's like it's almost that you said he used to be an alcoholic, but it's almost like when God changed his life and he's talking to you, it's almost like that testimony that's going forward, and you're seeing somebody. Well, they used to be like this. But now they're like this. 
And that's the thing that draws us into the goodness of God. That's the thing that causes us to, uh, I read it where David said, many shall see and hear and put their trust in God. Many shall see and hear and put their trust in God. And I think part of you reconnecting with your dad and seeing him different and hearing him different is pushing you somewhere towards God. Absolutely. And I believe that was his purpose. Um, not just with me, but in his church. He was upstanding in his church. He drove the bus to go pick people up. They couldn't drive or that was too elderly. And he was really involved in his church. And um, something else came into my head. My stepfather as well, um, we used to, I used to party with him, you know. And we used to stay up all night, all weekend and, and party and stuff. And, and he got saved. And he quit drinking and they found out he had uh, cancer. And, you know, he survived that. And the doctor told him that if you hadn't quit drinking and smoking, you would not have survived this. And he gave that glory to God as well. Um, but, yeah, so, so I went on about my business after my father passed. It was, it was tough, but there was an incident where um, I took his wife uh, to the grocery store one day. And he wasn't real mobile. And it was a townhouse. And the steps were steep. And we told him, you know, look, just stay here. We'll be back. Don't go near the steps. And when we got back, I could hear him upstairs yelling for help. So I went up and I got him and I put him, you know, he was on the floor. He had fallen. And I put him on the bed and he was in so much pain. And he said, son, I just want to go home. And I said, well, dad, you're home. You're sitting on the foot of your bed. And he goes, no, home. And he looked up and raised his hand. And I think just a couple days later, he ended up back in the hospital and never left. And he stayed there, and he passed away. So I know he went home. You know, he went to where he wanted to be. He's not suffering anymore. Um, and, you know, I, was, I didn't mourn normally. Like, I mean, I cried. I was upset. But I was also very happy that he was home and that he left me with the Holy Spirit that I could rely on or call upon any time. I didn't always do that at that point, but I knew he was there. And what an impact that made on my life. And then I, yeah. His testimony and seeing that difference uh, spurred you towards Christ. And, and even in that, I, you know, you've shared some of your testimony with me. And, you know, going forward, like, when did you hit that moment that led you to here, to Nashville? Uh, and what was that like? I came down from Nashville to try to get away from myself in Virginia. And um, my mom and her husband moved down about 12 years ago down to Savannah, Tennessee. And so I came down here just looking for a new start. Geographical cure, they call it. In the, uh, the, uh, Anybody ever been there? <laughs> in the recovery, yeah, they call it geographical cure. But I followed myself down here, you know, and that was the big problem. Um <laughs> You came too, right? And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the stipulation for me coming down here was that, you know, I, I had to stay with my mom and her husband, and there was no drinking. I wasn't allowed to drink, so, and I didn't, and, you know, I ended up getting a job and and uh, found an apartment for the first time, had my own apartment, um, and good job right there local, and ended up drinking again. And I, got, I ended up getting another DUI, and they put this little device in my car that totally screwed up my whole world. Yeah. This little blow-and-go thing that you got to blow in, you know? 
because that was my thing. I packed a cooler and I drove, and that's that was my that was my escape. And so I had to plan my drinking more carefully now. And I would stop Friday after work. I'd go to the liquor store, get get a bottle or two of vodka, and I'd camp out all weekend. And then I started missing work and ended up losing that job. And at that point, losing my job, I went ahead and I was going to do that leaving Las Vegas thing. Stock up on booze and just, I paid my rent for the next month out of my last paycheck and I was just going to drink myself to death. And then I thought, well, that's going to be painful. Yeah, I want to do it a different way. So I planned. I made a plan on, I knew how to get a gun. Um, and that's what I did was I sat there and I drank and I, I tried to get the courage up to take myself out. I mean, I had a whole plan. It was, I mean, I could have write it down. Step one, steal the gun, you know, and, and that's how detailed it was. And the only thing is I couldn't get sober long enough to carry it out. Um, you know, it was like, I, all I had to do was walk across the street and I couldn't even get sober long enough to do that. So... Um, I ended up one day calling uh, 911, and the ambulance came and got me and took me to Magnolia Hospital in Corinth, Mississippi. When I walked in there, the blood test showed that I had a .30 alcohol level. So I was on the verge yeah, of alcohol that's really bad. poisoning. That's, that's bad. really bad um, for a person my size and weight. Yeah, that's pretty I should have been out cold. Um, it took me almost 24 hours to blow zeros into the machine detoxing. I was miserable. But I got in the psych ward up there and I was a mess and they put me on some medication and they stabilized me and diagnosed me with severe depression and acute anxiety. And today I'm still taking medication for that. And, you know, I know God has a way of healing things, but sometimes the human just needs to do what the human needs to do to take care of this, the, the, the temple. And it's real um, talk. That's real. That's real talk. And from there, I told my social worker, I said, look, I want to go back into a recovery program where I can build a network of people that I can use as support so I can stay sober. Because by myself, I haven't been managed to do it. And, um, you know, it, while I was in there, I took some opportunities to, to touch base with God a couple times just to let him, you know, and thank him for getting me there. Um, but nothing real serious until the day when I told my social worker that I'm wanna pro I want to be in a program. And she said, well, I know a pro of a program in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's a really good program. It's a men's life recovery program. And first thing I asked, well, how long is it? How period of time am I going to have to take out, of, take out of my life to deal with this thing? And she said, seven months. And I said, no way. Not going to do it. Isn't going to happen. We got to think of something else. And I felt, I felt this, this power come over me and almost like a little tap on the shoulder. And I heard a voice say, Rick, I've got you. So within 15 seconds, I'm like up saying, no way, ain't going to happen. What else do I have to do? I was saying, okay, let's do it to the social worker. Her eyes popped open and we called the mission and got in touch with who we needed to get in touch with. And um, two weeks later, I was in the, in the Nashville Rescue Mission right, right down the street here. And I knew when I walked in the doors that I was home. I was in the right place. I could feel the presence of God. Um, it was kind of different from where I came from because I was a loner. 
and here I am in the midst of 40, 50 some guys all at one time. So I had a rough start there in the beginning, but I relied more and more on God um, as I went through the program. A lot of people, a lot of noise, um, a lot of action going on, dormitory style sleeping conditions and stuff, and it was just out of my element. I mean, I was completely out of my element, but God kept me, sta- kept me there. He wouldn't let me leave. Um, I even got quarantined one time. I caught COVID while I was here. And when I finally got out of quarantine and called my mom, and she says, why haven't you called me? I haven't heard from you. And I told her I was quarantined with COVID. And she says, you got COVID at that place? (laughs) And I said, yeah. And she says, well, you can come home anytime you want. And I was two months in at this point. And wow, did, did my heart skip a beat. And I'm like, wow. I can get out of here. But you know, something made me stay. And I believe it was God's intervention. And then in level three, there was a class that I took that had to do with the different perspectives. It it had a different perspective of God. And that class changed my life because I can really view him and characterize him the way I want to in my mind as long as I'm filled with the Spirit. You know what I mean? And that changes my image and my my concept of what he is as far as a physical image in my mind changes. But the power is there. And I decided at that point that I was going to surrender everything and give it my all and, and let God run my life. And he called me to stay at the mission, and um, I did just that. And, you know, I'm an electrician by trade, and I can go out here in Nashville with this booming city and make a lot of money. But um, I decided that the mission was the place to be. Um, I needed to be around God's people. And, and of course, I made friends. You, know, you did. And- you got, Rick's a very likable person. There's no way you can bump no. into him. And uh, I love it because uh, a lot of his friends and, uh, have come. With, give them a hand clap. They're over there. Make some noise for Rick on stage here from the, from the rescue mission. Uh, which is a it's faith based, and that's the thing we love about it as well. It's like, it's it's providing that community, and uh, and also you know that's one of the missions and outreaches that we partner with and go over there uh, once a month on Friday nights to just hang out with you guys and uh, fellowship with you and just have a great time. But everybody there knows this guy, and, and, and they love this guy, and he's a friendly Not guy. Not everybody loves yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, you know, going back to that, it's like you had that moment to where you hit rock bottom, found yourself in the psych ward, uh, another DUI. And isn't it something how God will always show us a way of escape? He will. He'll, he'll show us no matter what path you're on or what you're going through. It's like God shows you that way of escape, and he'll, he'll, he won't pick you up and carry you there, but he will, he will show you the way, but we still have to make that decision. And I love that because you said, how long is the program? Seven months. Isn't it funny that it's seven? Like, that's God's number there. And it's like seven months, and he's like, no. Going back to that, David said, I waited patiently and expectantly for the Lord. And there's something about us when we're going through something, when we're, especially when we're in a undesired situation it, it took us a lifetime to get there and we want to get out quick fast and in hurt god just supernaturally get me out of this turn this around and you've been down that trail before yeah. and you ended up in the same place but i believe when we understand when god begins to orchestrate things in our life 
And we still have to submit to that and say yes to that. Absolutely. That, that he gives us the strength to walk that out. And now tell us, how, how has your life been there with the National Rescue Mission uh, versus you trying to do it all on your own? Oh, it's been an amazing journey. I mean, um, I feel the Holy Spirit every day. I feel God. That, you know, it's, it's not a church. But I feel God all over the building. Um, it started with the st- with the program, and then right to the staff. Why I wanted to be a part of the staff is because they're all Christians, and they all support each other. It's like a family. It's like you guys, a family. I have a recovery family, a church family, and a family family. And um, you know, you see the real deal there every day. People OD in the parking lot. Um, you know, you hear people leaving the program and and going back out and OD and and dying. As a matter of fact, this past week, um, I went to the cleaning ministry. Um, that was an entry-level position there for me at the rescue mission. So we got to clean all the nice, you know, toilets and vomit and all that fun stuff that, that you know, people that have probably young children know about. And um, But, you know, I did that in service of God. And um, I worked with a, uh, a young man there who we became very close. His name was Bronson Farr. And um, he ended up leaving the program. He relapsed and ended up leaving the program and going back home, going through another program um, and relapsing again, to make a long story short, and ended up back here in, in Nashville from Corinth, Mississippi. And um, he just showed up. I, I went home last week, and I was going to see him because my parents don't live far from Corinth. And it's funny because he showed up two days before I was going to go home. And... Um, because, because of circumstances, they, they didn't want him to come back through this mission, um, so they sent him to Knoxville, and he checked into the mission in Knoxville and um, was there for probably, I don't know, less than 24 hours. I don't know the whole story, but um, I guess his guilt and his shame, something got to him. Um, and, and one of the things he said, though, I'll never forget, was we were sitting out smoking a cigarette in the, in the corral, and he said, this time I need to completely surrender to God because he, he says, I didn't do that last time. And that's funny because that's why I drank for all them years, because I didn't put up the white flag and completely surrender. Well, he ended up jumping off a bridge in Knoxville, Tennessee um, last week and taking his own life. And um, I just want to um, reach out to his family and pray for them. Um, his father's having a real tough time with it because that was his treatment center that he went through. But I miss my friend. Um, but I know he's not suffering anymore. You know, he's he's with God. There's no doubt in my mind. So he's in a good place. And um, I still talk to him all the time, just like I, I, I pray to God. I talk to my father. I talk to him. And I tell him I miss him and that I'll see him someday, you know. Um, but, you know, that's the, that's the nature of addiction. That's the nature of the beast. The devil's running the show out there on the streets of Nashville, the streets of the world. And people are dying from this. Um, I can almost bet that people watching online and and probably some of you in here um, know somebody that is struggling with this addiction. Um, You know, that now uh, methamphetamine is a big thing. You know, um, a lot of drunks or drunk people are just hard to find now. It's a lot of young people with, with the drug addictions. And... It's an epidemic, you know, and, but I get to see every day, I'm finally in a position at the mission where I'm working in the men's life recovery program, the program that I went through for seven months, 
And, um, you know, and now I'm, I'm working as a CLA with those guys. And for the first time, for the first time in my life, I feel like I have a purpose. Like God has called me to do something here in Nashville. Now, I don't like the city. I'm a country boy. But I'm willing to go wherever I need to go and do whatever I need to do to spread God's word. And I get to do that every day. I get to, to listen to guys um, in, the, in the midst of their dirt and their garbage and give them hope. By sharing your testimony. By sharing my experience, strength, and hope and what yes. God has done in my life. Amen. Yes. Come on, give it up for Rick, guys. Just an amazing... Amazing story. Does this bless anybody? I'm telling you, man, that's, that's just the goodness of God right there. That's the goodness of God. And like I said earlier, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be alcohol in your situation, but anything that, that can take your life off course and send it down the wrong direction and can drag you down and, and then you get victory over it, then it trips you up again. I mean, you've been there. That's like a repeated thing. Uh, but, you know, our hope, and we were praying before this and talking before this and said just our hope is that Somebody will hear that uh, down the road and draw strength from that and say, well, if God, can, if God did that for Rick, God can do that for me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridges Nashville podcast. To find out more about us and who we are, check out our website at bridgesnashville.com or find us on social media at Bridges Nashville. 